as this podcast airs, we are in the last quarter of 2022. And let's face it, we have endured a pretty dramatic year in the stock markets. In this episode, I want to address some of the psychology and behavioral items that we all should keep in mind when the markets don't have the 10 to 20 or more percent rates of return that we've grown accustomed to love over the last decade and a half. If you're a bit stressed about your portfolio balances and the markets, it is okay. It's perfectly normal. And that is why I'm bringing this information to you. I'm David Chuddick, and I'm a financial advisor, and I work with individuals and business owners to help them to make the right financial decisions for them for the reasons that are important to them. So if you're an employee at a company and if you're unsure if your 401k is being handled properly, or if you just want to know that you are going to be financially okay, email me, David at parallelfinancial.com. Or if you're a business owner, and if you have to put to place all of the wheels in motion to make your financial dreams a reality, I can help with that too. And I also help business owners to make sure that their business, which is an asset, is as valuable and sellable as it can be. Email me, David, at parallelfinancial.com and let's chat for 30 minutes to discuss your concerns and see if you have any next steps. I hope you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chuddick, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast, where we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that help you to build and maintain wealth. As you know, my name is David Chuddick, and I'm a financial advisor with Parallel Financial. And what that means is I help my clients to make the right financial decisions for them for the reasons that are important to them. So if there's anything keeping you up at night, um, you know, shoot me an email, david at parallelfinancial.com. We can talk about kind of what's going on in, in your financial life and see if there are any next steps. But today, Mike DeJoseph is on with us, and we're going to talk about some financial decisions that people make, or maybe even some lack of decisions. We're going to talk a, a little bit about uh, why it typically is in a client's best interest to work with a financial advisor, what some of the things that financial advisors bring to the table for their clients. So, hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, David. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where in the world uh, you reside. Sure thing. Yeah. So Mike D. Joseph, I am at uh, Vanguard. And so I work on our team uh, that's in our intermediary business, so our financial advisor services division. And we have a, uh, a research team within that division called the Investment Advisory Research Center. And so our team's goal is to work with individuals like yourself, financial advisors, um, you know, I think Vanguard's known uh, predominantly as the big, uh, you know, retail investor shop, the, the Jack Bogle shop, uh, but it might be underappreciated that we're, our, our biggest division is actually working with individuals like yourself, financial advisors. And so my team exists to help you help your clients, uh, because we firmly believe that you helping your clients is the best thing you can do to help your own business as well. And so trying to get everything aligned. Um, I, th I think your, you know, your theme of your podcast here, the mindset, the tactics, all of those things are, are the type of stuff that we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, what's interesting is uh, the FPA, the Financial Planning Association, which incidentally is where you and I met at the um, at the annual symposium for our state. But the FPA is pushing to have some standardized um, criteria for someone to be able to call themselves a financial planner. Um, typically, and it happens to me all the time, is you know, you'll meet someone and say, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a financial planner. Oh, really? Okay, well, what's the market going to do? Or, um, <laughs> hey, if I gave you $100,000 right now, where would you invest it? And I always say some version of, I have no idea where I would invest your money. I don't know anything about you. You might have a bunch of debt you need to pay off. Um, I don't know what your risk tolerance is. I don't know what you want to do with the money. So I plan. I mean, and part of the planning process absolutely is investment management, but we're looking holistically at um, at the financial planning process to help to help our um, help our clients. So yeah, so I've been watching on the news and there's all these different um, you know news stories about you know a recession is coming or recession's not coming or there's X percent that a recession is coming. And then you get questions from clients on, well, should I be invested? I mean, is the market going to crash in a recession? So, you know, from your research background, talk to me a little bit about like is a recession a huge fear? Does it mean the stock market's going to tank? And just just talk to me a little bit about like when people are watching the financial news, should they well, should they watch the financial news at all? Is is I guess question number one. And number two, how do you deal with this recession question? Uh, David, that's a fantastic question, and and we're hearing similar things. I'll answer the second part first, and uh, it's it's conditional, right? I would say no, they shouldn't be watching the financial news unless they acknowledge that it's more or less entertainment. Right. I mean, and and the reason I say that is because, um, again, I mean, we're we're sitting here in late October. Um, you know, all the all the economists, the news media, the you know CNBC, they're all talking about well, what are the chances of recession in 2023? And so people hear that, and they you know they see person X Y Z, you know, trusted source saying 60 percent, 80 percent, 100 percent. We've seen some you know big bank CEOs basically say things are going to get really bad in the economy. And so I think it would only be natural for, you know, most investors to assume, well, if things are going to get bad in the economy, they're going to get bad in the market. And the way we kind of address those concerns is to just remind people that, you know, markets are forward looking, right? The, the stock market today is not reacting necessarily to what happened yesterday or even to what's going to happen in the next three to six months. They tend to look forward through those different things. Um, and really, they price in, you know, all of the the aggregate viewpoints and opinions and and bets that investors are taking over different time horizons. So, I mean, the way I would put it is, if you think the economy is going to go in a recession next year, uh, there's a very good chance that that's why the market has been down year to date because the market priced that in, right? And so, uh, as we sit here, we've been on a couple weeks of good market returns, and maybe it's the bottom, maybe it's not. We don't know. Uh, my intuition is if it is, in fact, you know, the bottom is in and the market has kind of started to bounce back, that's because people are pricing in the economy going through a recession and bouncing back and, you know, all of the different things that go along with that. So I think it's really important to just remind people, um, you know, especially amateur investors, that the markets are forward looking. Well, and after every recession comes what? I mean, the, the, the recession ends and, 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 and the economy um, economy. Um, improves. That's right. I mean, a thought, right? A thought exercise I use sometimes. Let's use Tesla, just a just a huge company. You know, one of the biggest companies out there. Just an incredible success story over the last decade. 
let's just say you think things are going to be so bad over the next 12 months that they will sell zero cars. But then okay. the economy will recover. And 10 years from now, they're going to be still be, you know, one of the biggest electric vehicle manufacturers. Will the stock go to zero because they sell zero cars next year? Or will, you know, or will it trade on some uh, multiple of those future cash flows far down the uh, down the history line there? So like, what does somebody do if, 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 you know, you just hear so many different, and it, it could even honestly depend on which news channel you're watching. Um, and I've even seen, you know, you pull up your CNBC app, just see where the markets are. And you'll see a headline that says like markets struggles to hold today's gains, but it could just have easily have said, Hey, wow, the markets are up today. That's a good thing. So you, you can turn anything into a bad thing or a good thing. So like, how did, how should somebody react to the news? Um, that that is, you know, again, it, it is it is entertainment, and if it if it bleeds, it leads. Good news doesn't doesn't get viewership. So, how should the individuals react to the news? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I've seen people kind of point out a couple times. You'll go on one of the big news sources, and you know, maybe early in the day, the market's down, and the headline will be "Market is down because X Y Z," and then the market kind of bounces back, and they they only change the one word in the headline. They'll say the market is up because of X Y Z. Right. It's just uh, it's just kind of crazy. You can take the same headline and, and just fill in whether the market's up or down and still run with it. Um, so it's hard. So I think, you know, let's acknowledge that up front with uh, with empathy and understanding here. It's a, a big part of, you know, the research my team does is why people make the decisions they make. And, you know, it really just comes down to it's extremely difficult um, in the first place. But what do you do directly? Well, you know, the one thing that, that we would say is whether on your own or, you know, really ideally with an advisor is to prepare ahead of time. That's first and foremost. It's, it's understanding when you put into, uh, into place your asset allocation and your risk tolerance and all of those things are taken into account. It's just understanding. I mean, if you have a, a large allocation to stocks in your portfolio or, or really we could say bonds today, just given the, the activity in the bond market, there's just taking stock of, of, you know, what's happened in the past, right? What are the worst years? What are the best years? And just understanding that, um, you know, risk is not this abstract thing that, you know, the stock market might go down at some point. And that's what risk is. Risk is the, the reality that the stock market will go down and you will go through periods of significant downturns. And so you want to prepare yourself ahead of time uh, for the fact that those moments will happen, even if they're only once every 10 years or once every two years, whatever they're going to be. And then we say you can't control the markets, right? None of us have a crystal ball. We don't know what they're going to do, but what we can control is our exposure to them. Uh, we can try to control our emotional reactions uh, to the markets when they happen. And then, you know, I'll say there are there are certain things that you can actually do. So we say staying the course doesn't mean standing still. And the analogy, right? Vanguard's known for our uh, our analogies towards boats and, and the maritime theme. Uh, but we say it's like, you know, it's like setting sail, right? If you, you don't just point in your direction and you're there, you have tides and winds and you're constantly making these minor changes. So you're staying the course, but that re does require changes along the way. And so those are things like rebalancing, you know, which our data would show in aggregate people generally don't do. I mean, it's hard when the market's going up, you have to sell your winners and you get attached to them and it's hard. Uh, when the market's going down, you have to buy the losers and, you know, you, you know, the natural tendency there is, well, I'll just wait and let it go down the rest of the way and see what happens. So it's things like that. And then, 
you know, David, stuff that, that you might be doing, right? Roth conversions and tax loss harvesting, some of the more complex uh, finan financial strategies that are really most applicable during a market downturn. Um, you know, and it's not to, uh, you know, it's not to gloss over the negative effects. I mean, losing money hurts, and especially if you're, if you're in retirement, for example. Um, you know, it's not easy, but there are things that you can do. In today's world of social media, politics is just huge. And, and I'm not going to ask you who you voted for. I don't care. You're a nice guy, whether we voted for the same person or not. I don't care. But we, we live in a pretty divisive world now on political views are held pretty strongly. So what do you say to the person that says, if the other party, whoever the other party is, gets elected, you know, the markets are going to, quote, go to zero, you know, or or if my guy doesn't stay elected or if the other guy gets elected, how much does does the political party that's in power affect markets historically? That's a uh, it's a great question. Try not to get myself or, or you in trouble um, in answering it. But uh, it is something that our firm has looked at. And, you know, I would just take a step back. And I mean, I'm a big uh, I'm, a, I'm a voracious reader of U.S. history. And I often tell people, um, you know, as, as rough as some of our history has been, sometimes it can be advantageous to just take a look at it and make yourself feel a little better about where we are today. So are we in a period of divisiveness? For sure. Um, you know, do we all wish that wasn't the case? Absolutely. Uh, but here we are. And it's, it's really not new uh, in U.S. history or really world history. And if you look back, I mean, we've been through much worse than this. Uh, civil war, you know, two world wars, Great Depression, all of those things, and yet here we are. Um, and so I would say again, you know, similar theme, kind of zoom out a little bit. Now, what our research has showed is that you know it often doesn't really matter uh, who's in charge um, in terms of market returns and things like that. And, and I know the temptations there, right? If this person's in, then their policy is going to be this. This is what's going to happen, but the markets aren't really simple and linear like that. I mean, the, the perfect example, uh, you know, most recently, I think 2016. So if you look, uh, you know, when when you and I went to bed on election uh, election night in 2016, the the stock market futures were down what six, seven, eight hundred points, mm -hmm. and that might sound quaint today, just given what we've been through since yeah. then. But I mean, that was a big drop uh, at the time, and yet by the time I got into the office the next day, the market was up 600. So, I mean, I, the conventional wisdom there, right, was if this guy gets in, then this is going to be bad, and it ended up being the opposite. We actually had a great, you know, few years of returns there up until COVID. And so I, I don't know how to handicap that personally, right? You say, if this person gets in, they're going to do this policy. And like I said, markets are reacting to what other people are pricing in. And, you know, David, I would even go so far to say right now, and you know, whichever side it is, let's just say you believe, hey, this party is going to take power. They're actually going to be able to get things done. Uh, they're going to do policy X, Y, Z, and that's going to be bad for the economy. Well, now we have this world where, you know, sometimes what's bad for the economy means the Fed maybe stops raising rates, right? And, you know, becomes more accommodative and that's good for the stock market. Maybe that's good for the bond market. So those are the kind of questions you have to ask yourself. Um, I just encourage people to just, again, zoom out. I mean, you're going to go through, you know, this party in power and that party in power and you're, you know, most people aren't going to agree with most of the decisions and policies over periods of time. And yet, 
um, you know, over the long periods of time, the markets have done well and people have been able to achieve their goals if they are able to stick through it. I mean, I've always kind of looked at market returns and president kind of like a, a, a football coach. You know, the coach gets way more credit when they win um, and way, way too much blame when, when they lose. I mean, sometimes, you know, a quarterback throws a ball and the receiver just doesn't catch it. Coach really can't change that. And other times the receiver does catch it and makes a great play. And then the coach says, you know, then the coach is a brilliant coach that that coached a great game and they won. And, you know, I kind of look at, you know, the party in power being now, you know, we all need to be informed and, and, and vote by your principles and everything. But I just don't think it's that simple as if, you know, the other party gets in power, you know, you can lose all your money in the markets. So. Hey, let's take a quick break from the podcast. Are you a business owner and are you hoping at some point to sell your business and have those funds fund your retirement? Well, if so, I'd love for you to go to www.allofmyassets.com slash freedom score. You can take the questionnaire and it gives you some knowledge of your readiness of how close or how far you are from having freedom in your financial life. That's www.allofmyassets.com slash freedom score. And let's get back to the podcast. Totally agree. And I mean, if you're making, you know, if you're getting in and out of the market based on that, I mean, chances are you're probably looking at other stuff and, and kind of making the same decisions. It's just, you really have to separate, uh, you know, ultimately, right. The markets and investing is a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, you know, from your and I conversations, you're focused on helping your clients meet their goals. You're not mm-hmm. necessarily focused on, you know, the highest possible return year after year or, or necessarily avoiding losses. I mean, it's, it's, you know, basically impossible to, to predict ahead of time. So just going back to what those goals are and just reminding investors and, you know, if you're not working with advisors, just making sure that you keep it front of mind that your, your goal here is not to just maximize returns. It's something else, something, you know, potentially far down the, far down the road. You work a lot in, in kind of the behavioral uh, side of, of decision-making and, you know, over the last few years, when, when a lot of clients were getting 15 to 25% returns on their portfolios, you heard no complaints, obviously. This year, you're hearing clients say, well, I don't believe in the stock market. You know, I can lose, quote, all my money. What makes the human mind kind of forget so quickly that, you know, uh, my portfolio is up big time over the last five years. This year, it's down, but I've still basically lost only some of my gain. How does it like, what is the mind? What, what controls that in the mind to make people forget, uh, like almost having a change of opinion based on the results? Well, I'll start with this. So Daniel Kahneman, um, who I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, basically invented the field of behavioral finance and behavioral psychology, uh, recently won a Nobel Prize for it. So he's famous for saying, you know, the more he's learned about how the brain has worked and how decision making works, he has gotten no better at actually making decisions. (laughs) And so even if I, you know, first of all, I, I don't know, right? I don't know the exact answer to that. I mean, there's plenty of studies around about recency bias and, you know, just you know, short memory span and things like that. So uh, point being, even if I did know the exact answer for every single human being of why uh, that exactly is, I'm not sure it really matters a whole lot. Uh, but ultimately, I think it just does come down to that, that recency bias and, um you know, humans have uh, a hard time thinking over multiple time horizons and thinking about probabilities. And, um, 
you know, tracking what I call alternate universes or, you know, what, what an academic would call counterfactual. And so what I mean by that is, and it's particularly uh, pervasive in the investment world where the second you make a decision, there is another decision that would have been better and it's mm-hmm. in your face, right? We talked about the media and, you know, people watching the financial news and, and all that. And that's an issue because it's, I could sit here and, you know, buy a stock and a millisecond later, there's probably another stock somewhere in the market that did better. Mm-hmm. And you compound that minute by minute, day after day, year after year. And it just, I think it, uh, especially in the age of information, I would say it breeds a unique quantity of regret uh, because of that. And so we don't have a counterfactual for what else could have been based on your decisions, right? So we also don't know, hey, if I had bailed out of the market uh, when I wanted to, you know, how bad would things have been? And I use this thought experiment and I, I actually have a chart of it where we took the, uh, the market in 2020 and we, uh, you know, tracked it down to its bottom and then back up. I think it was up, you know, almost 20% on the year, even though it was down 30 at one point. So a massive, uh, you know, turnaround there. And we actually overlay on the chart the different headlines throughout the year. And we make the point that there's never going to be an all clear signal. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that there is, uh, it's probably too late. And I think 2020 was a perfect year because I, I know early on in that year, uh, you know, during the shutdowns and everything from COVID, we were hearing, I'm going to bail out of the market and I'll get back in when there's a cure. You know, I'll get back in when the pandemic's over, whatever it may have been. And so if you think about that, I mean, there was kind of like a really, uh, you know, a really definitive uh, all clear signal in that case, which was the vaccine being approved, right? So if you're sitting there at the bottom and saying, I'm going to get out, I'm going to get back in when there's a vaccine. Well, that all happened in the same year. And here's what would have happened. So if you had, let's just say a million dollar portfolio at the beginning of the year, uh, let's say you bailed out somewhere along the way, right? Even a, a relatively, you know, 60, 40 balanced portfolio was down 20 plus percent at one point. Let's just say you you know timed it really poorly, got out at the bottom. It happened fast, so that's not unreasonable. I mean, we we have data that people did that. You know, it happened within a couple of weeks, and you know I think a lot of people capitulated. All right, so you have your million dollars, you lock in your eight hundred thousand dollars, and say I'll get back in. Uh, I'll get back in when the all clear signal arrives. So fast forward later that year, let's say you you know you get back in when the vaccine's approved. Well, the market was up almost twenty percent at the point that that had happened. So your million dollar portfolio, if you had just done nothing and let's not even account for rebalancing and all of those things that we just talked about, right? That were to add value and you'd actually be better off uh, for having gone through the downturn. And that's again, not to just gloss over the tragedy and you know the, the nature of, of why the market was down. Um, you're talking an $800,000 portfolio versus a $1.2 million portfolio just from not bailing out at the bottom. When it hurt and waiting for the all clear signal. So now devil's advocate, you, you know, hindsight is 2020. So, you know, if you were a client facing financial advisor talking to that same person when their million dollars had talk turned into $800,000, um, and let's assume it's not their only money, they have some cash and, and they still have some income. And, you know, like, what are you telling this person? Because again, you don't have the benefit of knowing the future. Yep. I mean, what I what if so if I'm sitting there and I'm an advisor, what I'm telling them is, hey, we've had this conversation before, right? When we put your asset allocation into place, we we were very aware that you know the markets could go down 20, 30. I mean, 2008, not all that long ago, 
uh, you and I were both in the industry at the time. I mean, the stock market was down 50% at one point. You go back to, uh, uh, to the tech bubble bursting. Um, I was in college at the time. I mean, the market was down greater than 50%. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not that old and I've seen the market go down, you know, minus 50 multiple times just in my adult life. Um, and so I would, I would say, hey, you know, we were prepared for this. Uh, we knew that this was a possibility. It doesn't make it any easier. I would, I would be talking to them with empathy and understanding. And I mean, certainly I, I can't speak for you, but I know I was sitting in that moment, just absolutely terrified of what was going on in the markets in the world. Um, and so I think we acknowledge that and be vulnerable, right? We're all humans too. It's not like we're robots over here, but I would just say, you know, time and time again throughout history, uh, the markets go down, they price in, uh, you know, what the recovery is going to be. And, and, you know, that's when the money's made. That's, that's, those are the moments that probably decide whether you're going to reach your goals or not. And so, you know, ultimately it's, we can get out of the market now. Historically, every single time the market had ever been down in the past, and every time's a little bit different, and it's always possible that that moment will be different, and this will be the big one. Um, you know, every single time throughout all of investing history, if you had made that move, uh, you know, those are the big mistakes, and that's the that's the ones that cost you your ability to meet your goals or not. And so it's either hang on for the ride, um, you know, hope that hope that you know, the same thing happens this time and it bounces back eventually and you're able to meet your goals or you, you get out. And, and, you know, I think the, the thing there too is if you don't believe that it's going to bounce back this time, right? If you do believe that that's it, right? And the system's over and, you know, again, early on in my career during the financial crisis, I remember being on a trading floor and uh, I remember watching Congress vote down TARP, which is the Troubled Asset Relief Program. And you know, I want to say the Dow was at like eight or 9,000 or something, and it went down a thousand. And, you know, I hadn't been through it as a professional at that point. I'm just thinking to myself, man, I, I wonder if the whole thing's over, right? Is the house of cards crumbling? That's it. And right. uh, yeah. at that point you just ask, well, then what's the difference, right? That's, That's true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm Well, I'm sure you're aware of, of Nick Murray and his work as a financial, you know, a coach of financial advisors. He says quite simply, the finan a financial advisor is a behavior modifier and someone who just helps their clients to make the sound decisions. They're not always, I don't want to say right decisions, but you have to kind of have a plan and a philosophy and stick with that and then use that as a basis for, for your future decisions. So, so in, in your yeah, and, and David, last, last point on that, I would say too, like, you know, how do you get through these moments? Well, I talk about uh, the percents that clients care about. Again, I mentioned investing is a means to an end. Uh, and it's almost like, I don't want to say changing the subject, but it's, it's, it is, it's changing the topic of conversation back to that end. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that, and, and, you know, one of the great things about the markets is that, you know, forward looking returns generally improve as the market goes down, right? If you believe over a long time horizon returns are going to be X, Y, Z, obviously in the moment, uh, if they're down, you know, that means the returns are higher. And so, um, you know, oftentimes financial planners will use software or, or technology to do uh, what's called a Monte Carlo simulation. And that just says, hey, in, you know, a thousand or 10,000 future paths in which the way, you know, the world could go, this is the percentage of times that you're going to be able to reach your goals. And there's kind of this self-correcting mechanism in there where it's, if the market goes down 20%, that means the returns are looking better in the future, 
And so while the market may be down 20%, your progress towards your goal, right? Your probability of reaching that goal is not down 20%. Right. And so, you know, maybe you go from 90% chance to 85% chance, but here's the, here's the issue. If you do bail out of the market uh, at any point along that way, that actually locks in the loss on your ability to meet your goal, right? So you can either mm-hmm. lock in the loss on the portfolio or you lock in the loss on the goal. And I think that's a really powerful uh, kind of tactic. Uh, again, whether with an advisor or on your own to get through it, it's, it's, it may feel great to just not be in the market, but does it feel great when you realize you're, you're fundamentally altering your ability to meet your future goals because of it? Yeah, because it's all about meeting, uh, meeting the goals for sure, not necessarily you know, beating the S&P or beating an index. You know, one of the things that I do that's a little bit different than a lot of financial advisors is um, I figured that a lot of my clients are business owners and their biggest asset is their business itself. And you have direct control or some direct control over how much your business is going to be valued. Whereas if I buy Amazon, I have zero control over what if, if Amazon's value is going to increase. So I became a certified value builder advisor. And in addition to the typical financial planning vehicles, I also help business owners to increase the value of their business because there's eight drivers of business value. So that does two things. It gives business owners um, a feeling of control because they can have some control, especially during times like this. And it also, um, you know, typically business owners just don't know what their business is worth and how much they can sell it for. So we, we kind of work through a lot of, of those issues that helps business owners to um, you know, to build up their biggest asset because, like I said, your 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 brokerage portfolio. We have a great process, but we still don't have direct um, direct control over the value of those assets. So, in your work, have you been able to quantify like the value of a good financial advisor and what it means to kind of a typical client? Yeah, it's it's. First of all, I appreciate the uh, the commentary about working with the small business owners. I think that's so important and so underappreciated. Um, and I know, you know, even yourself as a financial advisor, I mean, you are effectively a small business owner. Absolutely. I think we could all use uh, use a little bit of help on that front. Um, but on the financial advisor side, we have, so our firm has uh, published uh, under this research franchise, we call Advisors Alpha, which is, you know, slang for the value that someone like yourself can add to a client. And uh, we've been studying it for years. Uh, I've been part of that team going all the way back to 2010. And so we found in our work quantifying Advisors Alpha that you know, a good advisor uh, that's following a holistic wealth management process is worth about 3% in net returns over the long term. And so a few caveats there, a few big caveats. One is that that's much more of an art than a science. Sure. Right? We're not saying that's precise. Um, it's not something that's going to show up on a statement. So it's not, you know, at the end of the year, uh, you know, David, your clients get a statement and said, this is David's value right here. It's exactly, you know, 3.0%. It's going to be over a long period of time uh, through the ups and downs of the markets um, and things like that. And then the third one is that that is relative to, you know, what we've been able to kind of define as the average experience. So if we look at aggregate data of what investors are doing on their own, Versus, you know, what could be if they had a little bit of help with someone like yourself, uh, that's about what they would get. And, um, you know, it's really powerful. I I would say it's under, uh, you know, probably underestimated because that's kind of year over year, but it doesn't account for 
you go back to the the you know dollar example I just used with the COVID, right? The million dollars versus 800 versus 1.2. I mean, that's you know that's basically a 50 percent mm-hmm. relative uh, difference. 800 versus 1.2 um, that may have occurred in a 15 minute phone call, ostensibly. And so that you know the other point there is that it's it's really about closing the gap between gross and net returns. You know, I think some advisors take on an investment process where they try to beat the market and produce alpha outperformance. That's great. It's really difficult. Um, ultimately, you know, there's a lot of value to be added between the the percent that's on the paper, right? So whatever that whatever that final return is, whether it's active, whether it's all index funds and you're just getting the market, whether it's you know a 2080 conservative portfolio or a 100% stock uh, aggressive portfolio. Uh, what happens is you're going to lose. You're going to lose out on high costs. You're going to lose out on taxes, and you're going to lose out on behavior. And so, you know, our our work is really focused on, you know, how can we minimize the leakage in those three areas? And that's, you know, a tremendous value that advisors bring, and most individuals aren't doing on their own. And and candidly, not all advisors are doing that either. So it's not just, you know, hire an advisor and you get that. It's, you know, there's some due diligence required there, and you know. You have to actually be good at being a financial advisor. Absolutely. So let's go back. Uh, let's say you were that guy that had the million dollar portfolio in 2020. And then uh, a few months later, you had $800,000. A couple of things that you can control. Number one, let's make sure you have a will to make sure that your assets are disposed of according to your wishes. Number two, let's look at your insurances, right? So what if you rear-ended me and my family's in my car and you're found, uh, you're at fault. And let's say that you had minimum minimum car insurance, whatever that means in your state. Now I sue you. And now you're having to take money out of a depleted portfolio to pay for my damages. So think about the difference between the hundreds of thousands of dollars you would personally be writing to my family to pay for our injuries or if we uh, put you in touch, made sure that you had an insurance re- review for your property and casualty versus not, that could be a several hundred or million million dollar swing. And those are the things that people just don't do. We don't do them on their own. We don't typically go, go to an attorney and say, hey, what financial documents do I need? We don't typically go and say, what type of insurance, you know, where are my risk exposures on my insurance? We don't typically do tax loss harvesting. And I while it's a good idea, you could really screw a lot of things up. So you should need need some professional help. Uh, you don't typically, you know, go to your CPA in November and say, "Hey, what are some things we can do for this year before it's too late?" And that's where the financial advisors come in a lot, in addition to managing the investments in a way that makes sense for their clients. So, yeah, and David, I would say make, making sure that you're keeping that stuff up to date. Um, I have family down in Naples, Florida. I was just down there a couple of weeks ago, right after Hurricane Ian and uh, driving around just, you know, absolutely heartbreaking seeing some of the devastation and just, you know, people have lost their homes and their belongings. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's even worse, I'm, I'm talking to my stepdad, who is a mortgage banker down there. And, you know, he was saying a lot of the older individuals there, um, you know, they may have had flood insurance, they may have had hurricane insurance, and they might not have looked at it for 20 years or so. And so when we're in a period like today with inflation and everything seems like it's so darn expensive to, to replace, like, you know, you might have had $200,000 of insurance 20 years ago and now your home's worth a million dollars and you yeah. lose everything in it. And it's like, how do you replace that? And it's, you know, relative to the 
you know, relatively small increase in, in premiums to have yourself protected. I think it's things like that, that, like you said, most people just aren't thinking about it. And that's just, you know, there are so many of those things. It's hard to keep on top of them all. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a personal trainer, like losing weight, getting stronger, getting in shape, maybe not rocket science, but if you're paying me to be at the gym to, to make you work out at six o'clock in the morning, you're going to show up. If you're not paying me, you probably show up a lot of the time, but not all the time. So which one are you going to have more results is when you're actually implementing. And of course, as a, you know, as a personal trainer, I would have even more insight and expertise that could help accelerate, uh, accelerate your, your progress and your results. So, so I really always stress with just about everybody, get help, make sure there's accountability, make sure there's expertise. Cause there's just so much that we all don't know that, um, that can really, really have a negative impact on our, um, our financial health. So this is really fascinating. And, and I'm really going to be interested in this final question that I didn't tell you that I was going to ask you. So as the weekly wealth podcast, we, we, we talk about wealth and we talk about the mindsets, the tactics and the strategies that can help you to build wealth. So I would love to know, like, what is your definition of wealth for you personally? What, what, what does wealth mean? That's a, that's a really fantastic question. Um, for me and, and I'll say my household for my wife and I, when, and, you know, luckily, uh, given what I do for a living, we actually have these conversations, which is great. Uh, for us, it's independence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we would like to be able to someday, you know, be flexible and independent and spend time, you know, more time with our families, especially as they get older. Um, David, I think I told you my wife's entire family is based down in your world there in Greenville. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm up here in Philadelphia. Um, you know, I have some family here, some family in Florida, you know, people starting to kind of disperse. And so for us, we would love to just be uh, independent, able to, you know, kind of move around, spend time with nieces and nephews and, and children and, um, you know, aging parents someday and things like that. Um, so everything we do when it comes time for those moments of should we get out of the market, should we not, uh, we have to ask ourselves, is this going to give us more or less flexibility in the future if we do that? I love it. So you're making decisions based on on your values, which is super, super um, important. You know, Walt Disney's brother said, when your values are clear, your decisions are easy. So I love that quote. Yeah, yeah, I like it. So for uh, some of this will be on video, some of it. Uh, uh, listeners will just hear a podcast, but uh, tell me a little bit about that guitar that I see behind you. What, what type of musician are you? Oh, that's fun. So that's a, uh, that's a Fender Stratocaster. Um, that one I bought, uh, I think my senior year of high school. Wow. And so that would have been in the, in the late nineties there. Um, and it was the, the first nice guitar, quote unquote, nice guitar. It was probably like, you know, three or 400 bucks at the time, but I still play it. Uh, all the time. I grew up listening to Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, all the blues greats and things like that. And I still do uh, to this day. Next time we're going to have to get you to play for us, which will be maybe a little bit more exciting than uh, talking about the stock markets. Who knows? So next time you ask me a really hard question, I'll just do that. There you go. That's right. That's right. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. You know, a lot of times I'll have guests on and, and, they're giving valuable information, but they also have something to sell or some, some service to sell. You're just, you're just out here preaching kind of the good news of making good financial decisions. And 
I hold to the, to the philosophy that how we handle our money should positively impact our lives and the lives of those around us. And, you know, money's not anything really, but it, it provides independence and choices and options. So if you needed four new tires on your car, and if you don't have any money, you're pretty screwed because you can't get to work, which means you're going to get fired. You're going to have less money. And, but if you need four new tires on your car and you do have the money, then you have a little bit of a pain in the neck day where you have to figure out a way to get your car there and pay for it. But it's just, it's just a, um, an inconvenience. So if we, handle our money properly. And the way you should handle your money is different than me. We have totally different scenarios, situations. One of us should have more money in the markets. One of us should have less. Maybe one of us should have more life insurance, less. So that's why, you know, it's important to work with an advisor and customize, but, but how we handle our money should just help us to sleep at night and make our lives better. So with all of that being said, Mike, I appreciate your time. Maybe uh, next time you're you're down here in Greenville, we uh, maybe grab a bite to eat downtown Greenville, which is one of the coolest downtowns of, uh, of any city that I know of. And uh, yeah, until next week, we wish everybody a blessed week. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, David. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.